The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi everybody, Andrew Gormley, CEO of Classic Flyers here. If you're interested in classic aviation and you want to get up close and personal to old aircraft and see some of New Zealand's aviation history, come across the Classic Flyers, Jean Batten Drive, Mount Monganui, right on the edge of the airport. You can go for flights in old aeroplanes like Boeing Stearmans and Harvards. There's lots to see. Kids' parties happening here all the time. We have functions and function rooms, business meetings, and a great cafe with excellent coffee. If you'd like to be involved with Classic Flyers, we also have the volunteer groups who do all things from helping out with function work or just on the main hangar floor with visitors and guests or birthday parties, right through to engineers who get involved in restoring some of our wonderful old aircraft assets. Currently at the moment, we've got a Grumman Avenger being restored and a de Havilland single-seat FB5 Vampire. These things are all part of New Zealand's aviation history. It's a great place and it's in a good location. Come and have a visit. Check out the website on www.classicflyersnz.com. Extended. Hi, this is Peter Johnson from Aerospace Radio Station Extended. And we bring you some of Europe's best guests. He's, he's been something of, of an unsung hero of the American space program outside those who are, have made it their business to become aficionados of it. News. <laughs> some people will call you mad. Some people will call you heroes. Uh, uh, and everyone else is probably somewhere in that spectrum. It's, uh, it's an amazing project to, to pull together from literally from scratch. And views. You've got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and learn from that experience. And that's not an easy thing to do, Peter, learning from your own failure. So why not give us a listen if you want to hear about warbirds, aviation, and the aerospace industry? Come over and give us a visit. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of extended. Extended. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. This episode I recorded back in 2010 with the Royal New Zealand Air Force fighter ace, Jim Shedden. Here's Jim. And, uh, see, I, I, when, I went, when I left school, and by the time I was 15, the slump was, you know, so I... I and it was, my father had a small farm and he was hanging on to it by his fine teeth, and bad teeth, you know, and people getting pushed off all around the place. So I rolled up my little swagger look, looking for a job, you see. But I took and got the idea I'd like to fly, so I went out to the Canterbury Aero Club. And the chief instructor said, well, I'll take you up and see if you like it. So we went to the hangar and the, and the mechanic said, there's no aircraft available. He said, just a moment, I think the old Hawk might be. So the wheel distance was a big biplane and got me up in it and he got in the front and started up. Then he got out and left it and went away back in. And this big thing was going and the prop was going, and it almost stopped. If I could have got out of there, I would take it off and I wouldn't want to say, I don't, of course, I'd get killed in this thing if that stops up in the air. But I liked it, you see. So I volunteered for the Air Force. And I went in. And 
This is what helped helped my application. I had it on my way up from where I met him, my old motorbike. I had to uh, pass the editing salient. And Belford there, who I used to box against, was a was a auctioneer, and, and he, you know, was learning it. And as I'm going down and walking through these, all these cattle there, all bow up for you know for sale of earth, I'm peeping in the pen, and there was a bloody big steer with his bum to me, and just as I'm looking, he coughed and he covered me. From dehydrated grass for me, <laughs> and Bell forgot to hose out and hose me down. Well, you can imagine what I looked like when I went went in for my interview with this, with this, <laughs> uh, waving this standard six proficiency thing. They they didn't want to know any any, any part of me. So I made up my mind. I still sort of turned. At standard six, I'd done no well. I hadn't seen algebra, and I hadn't seen trigonometry, and that, so I had no idea. So I took a course in diesel engineering with international correspondence school, and I'd covered all those subjects. You see, so so when the war started, I volunteered and was accepted as a pilot. Then we had to do a pre-entry course, which I had no problem with, you know, and then uh, went on for six months and I never heard nothing about it and, and, I, and, and then I get a letter and it was two days before I was to re-sit re an exam in Timaru. Well, I had no show of, of passing it. I, I should have. Develop flu or something in hindsight, but I was so keen to get in, uh, and I got fifty percent, and I and, and I went in as a gunner. Oh God! When I got that message that I, I nearly joined the army, I, God, I, I just knocked. Anyway, when I got in there, there was quite a few blokes who had, like myself, had had a standard six education, but it were. And they were having trouble with their exam. You know, their so I had a little school there, and I'm tutoring these blokes up. Well, of course, when we got the results of the dam exam, they lined us up and they said, "It's the worst course that's ever been through here." I thought that's my my message. You know, they gave us a feel that nobody had really passed it with any. Then I was asked to go to, into the office, and they. There were there were two two hour exams and 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 there was quite a few of them and I passed with an average of ninety nine ninety seven percent. So I told them, you know, how I'd come to miss out and they transferred me. But when I went in there, there was lots of pilots who hadn't passed at, at elementary flying, and they had all back there as air gunners and things, so I thought my chances of getting it better, but I, I did anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, when I went, then I, <laughs> I went on final leave, of course, and I volunteered, when I went, when I finished on Tigers, I, they asked for volunteers for Canada, so I, I volunteered for Canada. Went on final leave, got on the booze, and and arrived, arrived back in Auckland after my draft had gone. So I finished up in the gut. <laughs> and after I'd done my time, and they said, Do you still want to go, go to Canada? Oh, yes, I said. So they sent me up to Woodburn to Harvard. Uh, 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 if I just said I wanted to know, I'd have gone to Canada. Yeah. Anyway, I went to England and I, I got, I spit, I, I, I got, really, what I wanted, it was a spit out to you. Spit well, then I put one or two blacks up there, and one of them was 
this uh, this young Englishman confided in me that he never he never drank whiskey. So I said, if you can pay for it, I'll I'll I'll. I'll. And I took him out. I must have sewed him up properly because he took off next morning in a Spitfire and caused pitch, and the whole squadron knew, the whole wing knew what it was doing. It just didn't have enough power with that coarse pitch to, to get airborne. It knocked its wheels off on the first fence, and eventually <laughs> there was very little of it left by then. And then, <laughs> Sergeant Shedden reported a CO, so I reported, what the hell have I done wrong? You took a young pilot out last night, filled him up with whiskey, We've lost an aeroplane which we're short of, and very nearly a pilot which we've spent a lot of money on. Any more of that, and you know, the army will be your next stop. <laughs> so the army had to hand down for me all. <laughs> well, then, I think one of the worst things that happened to me during the war. And the results of this stopped me sleeping, and I never slept again during the whole of the war. And, I, and I'd been married for seven years. My wife told me, she said, I've never seen you asleep. No. And this is what happened. I went up in this, my last trip in, in, at ATU, I had to take a Spitfire up about 25,000, as bad as them old Spitz, as high as you could get them, you see. They were up getting higher and higher, and I had a full throttle and had to keep the stick right back to keep it. So I wound the stick back. When it got up to about somewhere near 25, it just stalled and fell off and, 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 and finished up in a spin. And I'm sitting there quite happily. When I went to pull it out, I forgot that the stick was wound forward. With the tail, you see, the tail him, you could wind it. And as soon as it got enough speed up, it went <laughs> First of all, I started to go blind, then out. When I came to, it just sort of got a bit slower and it's spinning out. But I couldn't get control of it again. I was just, I don't the terrific G, in fact, they reckon that I shouldn't have survived the amount of G it took to. But somehow I got control in oil and I managed to land it, but it was just about to finish with that aircraft. I must have it. Well, then, as soon as I dropped off to sleep, I was having these nightmares. And just when I'd be about to hit the ground, I'd give a bloody yell and out I'd go on the floor, everything with me. And I willed myself that I couldn't. The nightmares were so terrific, I just had it. And that's when I went to 485, so I wasn't in my beers. Anyway, I hadn't been there long, and they had a they wanted a pilot to go on an air firing course. So uh, the, the squadron at that time was going over to Ireland to do deck landings, practice deck landings. So they knew, but they sent me on the air firing course. Well, while I was there, I met a Canadian who, and I was much longer on this air firing course, and I, I should have done it and gone back to the squadron, but the squadron was still still away. And we were coming home one night, and we struggled, we picked up a horse on the way, and we brought it with us, and we, we tried to put it into the WAF's quarters, but they were dead, this and that, but they, well, they didn't want it in there. I suppose they wouldn't mind it. And there was a Typhoon squadron on the same airfield where we were doing the air firing course that were in this big old English house they were in, it was like, and, and in, in what would you call a porch, the whole squadron were in there in their sleeping bags on, on, on the other thing. And uh, mobile stretch, beds they used to carry with stretchers. So we managed to get this horse up the steps and we put him in there and shut him. Well, you can imagine, <laughs> you can imagine a young fellow woke up and looked for a bloody horse who'd never seen a horse before. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, of course, 
the wife blew the gaff on us and all, you see. So they rang up the squadron had just arrived back and they rang up and said, uh, my aircraft had gone to the US because it was due for servicing. Send somebody over to collect this pile if we've had enough people around here. And, and Lairs came in the Tiger Mask to pick me up. Well, shortly after we got in, he said to me, you fly it back. And, and, and uh, that's the thing, you, you don't volunteer for anything, you could have somebody. Otherwise, anybody could fly a Spitfire, could fly a Tiger Mask. But on the way home, I suddenly realised that Chalky hadn't filled it, hadn't filled with petrol before we left. You see. So we came to a little airfield and I landed, and I was taxiing far too fast. I came round from behind the hangar and I got a tailwind and I had no control because I didn't have a brake so. So I gave it full throttle to get some air over, over the and. <laughs> Uh, and if we finished up in a ditch, very bits of prop flew all around the place. There's old Chalky down below me, and I'm sitting up above him, he's peering down, he's swearing his head off. <laughs> so I got, I got posted for that, and, and I was sent to a, a delivery squadron on, on fighter command. And, and, if, if the squadron, Israel's 11 group squadron, if if the weather was tough and they had a short aircraft, one new aircraft, most of the aircraft were being delivered by girls and by contractors and employers, a lot of girls, well, they wouldn't fly in, in, tough, in, in tough weather. They just wouldn't, just wouldn't, I mean, it would be a bad if he started losing it. But, our flight, we, we, I, I, I had authority with me that if I went to an airfield to pick up an aircraft and I considered it was fit to fly, even the group captain in charge couldn't say, he might say, there's no flying here, so, but that didn't apply to me. You know? We learned to fly in all sorts of weather, you know. So it would be, if I could have, uh, Planned the war. I couldn't have made, made I couldn't have made a better job of it. Yeah, I go. Well, I I never seen a typhoon, and they had a terrific bad bad had a bad name. They, they rushed them into service to uh, to combat those tip and run raiders who were. Uh, they were you know, the only thing that would catch the 190s and 109. And of course, I, up on the sheets, pick up a typhoon and deliver it down to Harabir. Well, Harabir. And I'd, I'd never seen a typhoon up there. And where I picked it up from, of course, we were on a ground crew there. There was no, no pilot to tell me how. Oh, I shouldn't. They had a terrific swing and takeoff. The fumes back in the cockpit, just, and their tails were falling off them in dive. So they, the Spitfire, they ironed all those problems out pre-war. Typhoon. And I said, well, I want to get back on ops, so I, I volunteered for typhoons. And then, of course, they said, yeah, you know, because nobody wanted to fly them. And Scotty was our first New Zealand CEO, Roberts. Roberts had uh, an Englishman, he'd formed a squadron and they were on Hurricane. And Scotty took over. And Scotty and arrived, and I arrived about the same time. Here's the sergeant, old Scotty, the, the, the squadron leader. And when I went down to see, oh no, now, the next thing that happened, my first night in the mess, I thought, well, I'd better not put up any blacks here, um, you know. I'm, and the bloke Murphy, and they were all original pilots with 406, came up to me and he's fiddling my tie and he said, that's a nice tie you got there, Jim. Well, all, all I could see was a bloody black tie. Before I could stop him, he set to work with his teeth and he, he, he uh, chewed the bloody tie off to about here. <laughs> 
And in the morning they, they done me up, you know, poked and chopped me out. And when I went into Squaddy's office and I stood to attention, the bloody ties. <laughs> so, anyway, he never said anything, but Scotty was pretty wide awake. I suppose somebody had, 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 had briefed him on what had happened. He said, I see you volunteered for Typhoons. He said, at the moment, you and I would be about the only friends of Typhoons have got. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was the typhoon like to fly then? Well, the was alright, but they when they they built they built the typhoon and they built the they built the hurricane and Hawkers and they built the typhoon and they built the tempest. And they'd done, uh, they'd done uh, tests with the models. And they said a typhoon will be very difficult to land on the water, but you'll have no problem with the tempest. And that was what, exactly the way it worked out. How they, very, very few pilots la landed a typhoon on the water and got away with it. They. Well, we were we were we were uh, uh, withdrawal cover for some uh, American light bombers, and where we were supposed to meet them over France, they were right on the deck, and Scotty couldn't see them, and the. CEO that was there, our fit said, "Look, we're under you right now," and so he brought them down. Low enough that you could see them against to pick them up, you see, the camouflage we could. And that meant that we were coming out over the French coast too low. And there was a big bang, slack flew through my bloody aircraft, and I was on my way down. I was bloody well, too low to bail out. And I thought, well, that's, that's my. <laughs> But you, you can see a picture right on the wall in there, an artist's impression of my landing on the wall. For it. And they blamed that big radiator that was down on the... On the you can see it there, look. That's, that was SAM, that's the aircraft I used to fly, a picture of it. And as I, I landed, I struck a very calm sea and could manage to put the tail in first, and, and as the waves came along the side, and, and I, this is a piece of cake, I took the strap, undone my straps, you see. As soon as the water broke over the leading edge of the wings, even though she was slowing over, she just flicked straight on her back, and no, no straps on. I cut my head, a great gash through there, through even though I had a leather helmet on. Knocked me out, of course. When I came to, I was still in the typhoon, but she, it was sort of its way down. And I think what kept me alive was the fact I had my oxygen mask on very tight. Because, well, trying to get that, my, I still had my helmet on, but I was still attached to the aircraft by the radio, or the telephone, and the oxygen. And I suppose I didn't have enough sense to pull my gloves off and trying to get my hair and my thing undone under there when I sort of came. I didn't know where I was for start. <laughs> anyway, I got out and got to the surface. Then, like our parachutes, they told us, and we never had any parachute practice, they said, when you need, need it, you'll know how to work. And, and they hadn't given us any practice on getting into a, a dinghy. And it was, a, it was a long thing about that language you could sit in and a ladder, but it wouldn't be any wider than this table, but the ladder down one end. And every time I tried to climb up the ladder, it flicked over on top of me. And I was down here, And eventually I worked it out if I could, could uh, push it down under and get it water, get it waterlogged again. I, and, and I hit it and I hit it. 
Well, I drifted up and down all the bloody night there off the French coast, you know. Oh God, it was a long night. Every time the moon bloody broke through the cloud, I thought daylight was coming. Uh, they come out and pick me up next morning, and they had 486 squadron up there, and they had 197, they had a whole army of aircraft, so that the very fighters wouldn't, we were riding quite new. And we got in the walrus, and the sea had got up pretty rough, as, and as the walrus came up to me, one moment I was down in the trough, Near this wall, I see, and the next things we see. But how the the pilot of the wall manoeuvred, so somehow we got us both on the same level, and his air gunner reached out with a long grappling hook and hooked me, you know, like you like, like, like you land a fish. Well, then they took off and hit, and a wave hit the wall that had floats under each, there was a biplane that hit me, and bashed one of those floats off. See? So the air gunner crawled out on the bottom wing on the other, he says, count, and the pilot suggested I get out there with him. Well, you can imagine that, a big risk of that. I'm hanging on to the leading edge, my toes over the back, and I knew if I, either of us went off that way, we were gone. And that's one thing I can't remember, is that how they got me off that wing with that, that aircraft diving about and they could, and they like, and they, I bet the, the rest is clear, they, they suspected they might have problems, so they started an AC rescue boat too, and so it had turned up and how it got me off the wing there, I don't know. I just have no idea. Now, the same thing happened when I got into trouble with, with that flying bomb. And, and, and I don't remember how. I was conscious for a while. You know, I was unconscious when I came in, and I came to but I was conscious. And when I, and then I, I must have drifted off because when I came to, I was in a bed in the hospital. This is one day, no, no indication of how the F being in an ambulance. So what happened there? Did you crash? Hey? What happened? Did you actually crash or something there? The, uh, uh, well, I crashed off the French coast. Yeah, a flak off the shore, you see, we were too low when we got the light flag. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, you, you mentioned the flying bomb there, what, what was... Oh, no, yeah, no, no, what... no. When the, ne the next... Uh, I, I eventually got up to the stage where I was commissioned on, on, on 486, my commission hadn't, hadn't come through. And I'd be notified, but I hadn't been finalised yet. And if you're in a wing landing, you've all been out, that might have three squadrons, a few squadrons, or, or if your squadron's been out and been held up, so that you're getting short of petrol on the way back, or as soon as you landed, there was usually the CO and his three blokes behind him, and then you know, one one left wing, and he had three blokes. Behind. And you landed one behind the other, and so well, Scotty. Well, but Scotty wasn't our CO then. This was after Scotty left it. And as I as as you land. At that long runway at Tangmere, you ran a full distance. You didn't let your, you kept your tail up till you got well halfway down and, you know. So that by the time you were, just started your run, the next way, the next flight was in behind you, see, the old, that's the way you come down the street. And I ran into my mate, Jimmy Wilson, on a, and I carved his aircraft up 
right up to the farmer plating, and all he had was a so, next morning I'm up before the group. Now, I knew I'd done everything right. I, 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 Jim should never have been there. Well, I went up before the groupie next morning, and as I got to his office, he rushed out and he said, I'll be back, stay there, and away he went, and he was a hell of a mood when he got back. <laughs> There'd been a, a, a squadron of spits had landed. One had done what I'd done, and about three more had piled in behind them, and he said, what you done was bad enough, but that was just plain sabotage, and he wouldn't listen to me. He, he, my punishment was, my commission was put on hold, and I was sent to the bad boys' school where I was. Spent three weeks for a bloody month, you know, making my own bed and going to all, uh, walking about the place and going to, going, going to lectures. But I knew that it wasn't my fault, but I didn't know why. Well, then I met Jimmy Wilson down at, down at Wanaka, and I said to Jim, what happened that I caught you up on the runway? He said, See, there was a flight, there was one lot landing on this side of the runway, there was another lot landing on that side. And he said, the bloke started to veer across and he would have hit me, so I slowed up. Now, why he didn't say that, let me take all that bloody punishment, I don't know. Yeah. But everything, see, well, from the time I, uh, I left England, I was never away from operational aircraft. I was like, we all Battle of Britain's British, we were, we, and then, and then, Spitfires, Typhoons, Tempest, and, and, uh, and after Spitfires were all, all uh, tropical air, aircraft we were delivering and all sorts of where you know, Spitfires and Hurry and you name it, we, were, we had to deliver them, regardless of the weather. Often we'd go there and we'd be dropped off by the Dominic there, but sometimes it was too, uh, the Dominic, they wouldn't have to drive from Croydon, they weren't flying the Dominic and we went by rail. And, you know, Entry, picked our aircraft up, and, and, and away we went. And, but I uh, see, I, I it was that trip. It's My flying was at its worst when I left OTU because of that bloody spit. You know, I couldn't have gone to West Ham. Man. I, they, they weren't very impressed with the little bit of flying I'd done, and then I had to wreck this target. But I was never away from any operational aircraft, and then from there I went on the Typhoon as a flight sergeant, and and uh, and then we then we got the Tempest, and we got the Tempest just to the flying bombs. Who were starting, and that was just about before D-Day. We done that. As with the typhoons, when the tempest, when we first got them, they were getting overspeed, and we and we were practicing flying at night because we were one of, going to be one of the first squadrons over over the beaches on D-Day, and we had to be there at daylight. You see. But out of the flying, of the, uh, and so we lost one or two blokes. Uh, you know, we, we, the motors packed up at night, and they, you know, on the on the tempest, when they, but they ironed that out eventually, anyway. Well, well, we flew. We, we we were over there in the first morning, and then we never were done any more on the beaches. We 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 were. Uh, Held back in England to fly there for, because with tempest was the only thing that we'd catch the flying on. And how I come to crash in it was I'd shot a. I'd shot a, a, a 
flying bomb, I shot out a flying bomb and I partly put it out of action and it was going down slowly. And I wanted to see it blow up, you see, and I'm keeping it. And our wing commander, next thing I realised there was somebody shooting at this thing up above me. And it was our wing commander. And one of his shells dropped out with the speed of my, my radiator, my, it let the coolant out and the next thing the prop stopped. And when that prop stops you wonder where it comes from because it, you know, it's just hung up there like a, it's a foreigner in the game, you know. And I was pretty low. I picked on a field, but I was too fast to get into it, and I went through a hawthorn hedge. And there's a plantation of trees, and when I when I came to, all that was left was a little bit of the tail, and I was lying on it. Yeah, the whole aircraft completely smashed to pieces. And I I was. I, I should have been grounded then, you see, I wouldn't have passed the medical test, but they took me into a, the Hastings Hospital, which if I'd have gone in a RAF hospital, I'd, I'd have been, yeah. And the first thing I have when I come to in the hospital, I had no feeling in my legs. No, I thought, you know, it was a wheelchair for me, was a hell of And I was in a ward of mine, so it was, after a better day or two, I just couldn't bear it any longer, so I struggled out of bed and stood on the and I found out I could stand, you see. So each night, I used to go for a bit of a walk, hang on to the bed until I could think of it out. And I was in bed for a fortnight, and then two nurses came in with a porter, and they said, you've been in bed for a fortnight, you'll be very weak, we'll take you out and put you in a chair and, and we'll make your bed and put you back in. You see, see they pulled the blankets back and so I hopped out of it. <laughs> they couldn't bloody believe it. <laughs> and I made a nurse from that. She wasn't one of those nurses. And I used to have her on about it afterwards. And she said, we do all the time, but they weren't bringing me bedpans and all the bloody rest of it if they knew I was. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I, I, anyway they, they, they said, you're fit for a discharge, and I rang the squadron up and asked them to come and pick me up, and they did pick me up. And that night we went to the local pub, and I'm trying to drink my usual, and I'm outside, and I fell over and couldn't get up, you see, I had too much. And a flying bomb was coming over and all my bloody mates crowd to look at it, and one bugger would piss on me, and another bloody jagger, and... <laughs> anyway, the next day I took up a tempest just to, just to see if I could still fly. I just got up high enough not to be uh, able to bail out and there's the prop stuck up in front of me again and I'm on my way there. <laughs> you know, knocking over trees and God knows what and I got out without a scratch. Yeah. And what had happened, an oil pipe had broken on takeoff. Now, how they knew, when they picked up all the wreck of that tempest, they knew what it caused it, uh, with the flower bomb, and they knew what it caused that aircraft with it, yeah. It was terrific what they got. I saw the f a hurricane come, come in down there to... Uh, at, uh, the museum, and they brought it in on a truck and they tipped it out and they'd come down from Russia and you couldn't, that was old Tim's gang, you know, you could, could hardly recognise an aircraft, you know, that that aircraft was flying again, they put it back, got it back on it, got bits and pieces and made bits for it. And Dusty Miller was, and Jim McCaw were both, both tired and Wanaker and they were showing people through and Dusty found the number on it and, and he'd originally flown that aircraft in England. Wow. Yeah. 
shy, very shy. But the tempest was an nice aircraft to fly, so it was a. But you see, I got to be CO in the closing stages of the war, and then we were in the army, army of occupation. But oh God, that was boring after the war. Jokers flying under bridges and low flying and getting injured or getting killing themselves and all that sort of. Yeah. So were you actually flying on D-Day? D-Day over the beaches, D-Day, yeah. On dawn. We were the first, one of the first, one of the first squadrons over there. Hmm. And what, what, what was it like? What was your impression of... It looked to me as you could almost walk to France by jumping over one body from one ship into another. I've never seen so many here. Yeah. And what about the um, actual air-to-air -air combat stuff? Um, yeah. Well, we we didn't do much of that because most of us uh, they had us on. Uh, Shooting up trains and ground crew stuff, and and we didn't meet the Germans very often. But when we did meet them, see, we had, we had a wing of Tempest, which was three squadrons, and if they just sent us out, uh, like during the war, they sent a wing out together, but. To keep the trains from moving, they only sent one, one, one squadron. And they didn't send a full squadron, they usually sent you two of them. And of course, the train, and our job was to shoot up the engine. We never were not much point in shooting up the carriages and that. And then we'd have another uh, yeah, Pair hanging around somewhere where they, if, when an engine came out to tow them in, they'd blow it up. You know, that, that was. And when we did meet them, and they, I think they, this was in the closing, you know, as we followed the army through through uh, France, and they, we'd strike anything up to about fifty aircraft. Right, oh, the sky seemed to be full of them. And I think they came from the Russian front. Then we'd go out time and time and nothing about, nothing about. And as they, they were supposed to be short of petrol, but as they were coming down, they would check that long range tanks off, and you could see the water petrol spraying out of them, like mist coming out of this, this the tanks doubled down. And, oh, but we we didn't have that many losses. We had a few, mostly flat traps. What caught us mostly. That's what got Spike Humbers. You see, when a, luckily I was I, I never went on rest. I with my various in the hospital and that I managed to stretch out my and then from the time I. I joined four sixes as a flight sergeant. I, I never, I was never went on rest right through. I finished up as a seer, and, and, and but those that did, they usually took them away for six months and put and they, uh, and they had them instructors, which was a pretty dangerous job to do. And uh, when they came back. The war had sort of got away from them, and they were suckers for these flag trips. Old, old Spike, and Spike was one of the quickest thinking pilots. I, he just his mind was like clockwork. Shooting at boats, and Flack hit his uh, his elevators, must have locked it, and chucked him straight over on his back, and he thought so very quickly that he wound that with the fuse the tail trim to put it at, get some control and rolled up when he was upside down. Yeah, I mean that. Anyway, this is what happened to Spike. He, the squadron was out. Taylor Cannon was the, was the, was the 
I saw this study, and it's Taylor had the had the had the squadron out, and there was two of us, two or three of us on the ground, and Spike was it married an English girl, and she was in the hospital, and she she seen having a, a youngster at the time, and, and he. Spike was in his best blues, and he was waiting for the ensign to pick him up, take him down to Brussels, and Dakota. And he, he said, "Let's go for a fly over the, in Germany." When we, and Leon was where we might catch an odd Jerry aircraft about. So we took two new boys with us. <laughs> And we went through the cloud and we flew just above this, a fairly low cloud. We, were, we came down through the cloud and we were coming back on the deck. And as we come over the Dortmund Ames Canal, on the side, at the nearest side to us, there was a barge stadium. And it had flak trap written all over it, you know, it was just sitting there. And spiked barges and up he went. We turned, and, and I knew what he was going to do. He turned that quick that the two, two new chums didn't even know what was on. They finished up on their own back in England. And down we went. And I was just a wee bit behind the spike. And I don't know whether it was rocket flag, but he, he started shooting and he just came up in the air. And as I came, I was level with him, I seen his aircraft go down straight into the mud, which I thought was on the very edge of the canal. But there was that much flak around, I suppose I wasn't capable of thinking a hell of a lot. But then, the next thing I hear that he'd got his aircraft up and they got his wedding ring off and orphanage sent it to his wife. Well, I thought if he went in on the edge of the canal, there's no way they could have got him up. They had to drain those, just shut all the water off in the canal. And I knew that Spike was getting hit. My my aircraft took a bloody pacing and started, and it must have been rocket slack again because. We didn't have anti-G cap, and, and the motor sort of cut, and I thought I'm. And I called up and said I was forced landing. These two uh, blokes got back, you see, and said we'd both had it. But I could turn down the canal. Well, I knew if Spike had gone in on the edge of the canal, I'd have gone over the canal and had to turn back to it. And, but uh, for, for, you've seen that book for, for, for that came out, they, they've, they've listed every, every person in the two wars, uh, where they're buried and all the rest. And a, bloke, and a farmer there that owned that bit of land on the edge said it had been, uh, I read it in, the, in, the, in those books in there. The land had been all underwater, there had been floods. And we'd guy gone into the soft, a spike had gone into well away from the ground, you know, far enough away in a way that they could get his, get his body up in the plane. Yeah. That was a spike. Taylor Cannon was the same, you know. Taylor Dennis, he was there that night when they chopped my tie off. Yeah, he, he'd served his first original memory. And I'd taken the squadron out in the morning and we struck a whole lot of uh, aircraft. You know. I suppose the army were pushing them and they were retreating. And we started, in the first four we blew up one on either end of it so that and, and then we were, and, they, and, and all these German soldiers got out, you know, like a mob of sheep or whatever. They all went into a, uh, it looked like a canal, uh, empty canal on the, so we didn't, we didn't worry about them, but some bloke had taken, must have taken a, a, a 
machine gunner with him. He started shooting at us, and uh, and uh, you know, what we did, we just went down the canal, and there was no more shooting. And and Hyphen was going to take the squadron out. Now, and we were telling him, and I remember standing on his wing, uh, wing and saying, "Sir." There's nothing left there to burn. Don't go back. But he went back. Bugger me, they didn't. They must have flat got him, and, and he bailed out. And, and he, they must have used him for bloody practice on the way down. He was never heard of again. Yeah. What do you think was your scariest moment? Hey? What do you think was the scariest moment that you had? The, the biggest fright you got? Uh, I guess not. not not talking about your spin in that, but maybe... Yeah, the nearest squeak I had. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two of us, and this, uh, I, I could say, I missed death by a second or two, two seconds to the outer side. Not many people could say that. Two of us, and they'd got information about a, a, a rail car that the Jerry's were using in Northern Holland. And there was a bloke who used to travel on it. That they wanted to bust in the resistance, they wanted to bump off. My our job was to, and, that, and the, Germans, the Germans were pretty uh, regular. If they'd done a thing, one, they'd done it for. So if we were there at a certain time, we'd get intercept that rail car. Well, we were there, but the road car didn't turn up. And we were flying around pretty low down. It was a nice sunny day and, and there was no flak around or anything. And as, as, as we were to look, you see, your aircraft would be like that. He should be wing up and wing down, you know. And as we started on our trip back and started to pick up speed, this whistling started in the cockpit. As they somebody blowing a whistle and I switched the radio off and now it didn't make any difference. So I said to the ground crew when I got back, I'm see what's causing that. And one of them come in with that and it looked like a shell for a service rifle, like again. And it had gone and he said, we can't work out how this went through the cockpit and, and missed you. And we looked, and it had gone in my battle dress, across, almost touched my bloody skin, it had gone out, and it was in there. Yeah. One second further ahead, and he shot down a, uh, a pilot in a tempest in the wind. Crazy. It's amazing. Um, yeah, you have any questions? I'm just trying to think. Um, you've covered a lot of it. Um, you, you, were, you became an ace, didn't you? Mm -hmm. uh, do you kind of like that connotation, the, the, the term? Are you comfortable with that? I know some of the aces aren't. Probably this way. Uh, are you comfortable with the term ace, being an ace, a fighter ace, with the with the kills, the five kills, or yeah, yeah. But it, it, you, um, I know some of the fighter aces don't like to talk about that. I just wondered if you were comfortable with that. Are, are you proud of that? That sort of thing. Re really. We did get. We didn't we have to work very hard for them. No. You got to a real turning bloody circle with them, and that you really, you really, uh, your, your life was your first thing, and you know? I didn't really worry about it, but the other bloke gave me out of his way. Yeah. They used a lot of tracer too, and that's where that. Was, was a God said to us, if, if they if they you didn't spot them coming up, you you looked nearly eighty percent of your time behind. All the rest, 
You, and with all those instruments you had, you just ran your eye across them and the normal gauge was playing up or anything. It seemed to just stick out, stick out. And, yeah, you know, you know, and, well, I think some of the Jerry's were a bit unfortunate. I know one bloke that I got and, and, and uh, he never knew I was there and that was, the weather, the, the uh, uh, weather had packed in, you see, and they'd opened the bar up at lunchtime and then they, uh, they got a message that the weather was clearing beyond the German, German lines, you see, and they, and they wanted to send a section off to, so I was detailed to go and take a bloke with me. And there was a Canadian photographer there and the film came out after the war, but I've never seen it. And it shows this photographer and the tempest runs right up to the, his, his camera, see? And now he wanted a picture of us taking off and he got down the runway. And the next thing I realised that I was going to hit him. <laughs> so I pulled up over his head. But anyway, we were shooting at a tra an engine. <laughs> and as I pulled up, I saw this 190 right down on the deck. Got up very crazy. In behind him. And he, he just flew to pieces. He never knew I never knew another thing. When they raided the 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 Air Force on on I think it was on New Year's Day or something when they shot up all their airfields and everything. We were out, and we were we were it was recalled, and my television, my radio broke over. I didn't know why they turned round. I didn't realise it was. See? And next thing, this Jerry fighters all over the place. So I got mixed up with one there and I got a one oh nine. As it is, yeah. No, I don't. Just, just had, you just had to be lucky. Some blokes never got, you know, uh, done a whole, done a whole tour and never shot anything down. Yeah. I think I was credited with seven or something. Yeah. But the, one of the biggest things I think was when you got it mixed up like that is. To remember which direction to fly in, because all your your compass and everything was toppled. You see, you wouldn't have a bloody clue, and you you could be flying into Germany. So you had to remember where, if if possible, where the sun was, or, or something, so that when you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you had a pretty, but what, but. I think one of the things that stood to me was how, how, how quickly I reacted. My, my father was like that, to think was just to react. I just didn't have my mind and just worked like clockwork. You, know, yeah. Yeah. you were telling me earlier that your brother was also in the Air Force. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What's that? You, you told me earlier your brother was in the Air Force. Can you tell me a bit about him? Yeah, well, yeah, that's what they wanted to know all about in, in, in this. See, he he, he saw me uh, doing the, the uh, international correspondence course, and he done it too, you see. And He volunteered as a pilot, and he got the name of Altitude Alec. And how how he got that was this, uh, the instructor sent him off in the Tiger to do aerobatics. But when you first start doing aerobatics, you the ground seems awful close to you, and you know, 
And the instructor was a fairly big fella, and he, he, he took off to follow Alec, but eventually Alec was still heading away up in the, in the, in the, in the old instructor's aircraft. We, we couldn't carry him up any higher, so <laughs> they called, called him altitude Alec. He had no trouble with the Tigers, but he couldn't for some reason uh, land the Oxford. He had trouble with the twins. So you, they remastered him to, to bomb him. And, and that is the worst, that is a job he should never have had because, because if the bomb, if the bomb owner didn't do his job, they stayed there till it did, you see. Now this is what happened to Alec pre-war, and he was out on, on the Elephant Hill, it was always a small ship station, poisoning rabbits, see, and he was here on the top, uh, and the bloke below him let the, all the scrub in the, the gully, and Alec was in and the fire he just was racing up, going his own wind, and he saw it. And he saw it. Well, I can't, I can't get out in time. Was it? But if he put his bag over his face and emptied his carriage out on the ground, he could break through that wall of flame, and it'd be clear. But it didn't work like that because the flame was working on the top of the and. And he tripped and fell over, and he, he came out at the bottom. He said, oh, his face was badly burned. When I saw him in hospital, he... And to, and to make it worse, the bloke who was with him took him in, and, 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 and the pain he was in, he gave him a lot of whiskey, you know, when it should have been. You know that he healed up without a pain. Anyway, Alec and I were out and we were using carbides for on fish. If you put a carbide in a bottle and you put the water in and plug it, then chuck it in and the explosion would bring the fish to the top, you see. So uh, I, I was uh, in charge of the carbides and the plugging and Alec had the bottle and as I went to walk away, He's standing there looking at it. And then I rushed back to him, what a hell of a struggle I had to get that bottle off him. And I just got in the water and up it went and I said to him, Alec, what the hell are you trying to commit suicide? He said, all I could see was that fire racing at me. Well imagine if he got over Berlin and then and, and the fire affected him that way with all the fires down Belita and they tried to hang around till he she said, well, bomb aimer would have been the last job he should have had. Yeah. And, and obviously he was shot down, was he? Uh, he, he and, and he was unlucky in that he joined up with a, a, a Canadian crew. But the night he was supposed to do his first trip, the Canadian crew's captain was U.S. or something, and, and Alec went and made up a spare in an English where the, where the bomb aimer was out of action. Now, they were all killed that night. That Canadian crew with a new bomb aimer uh, went right through, done a tour, and went back to Canada. Now, Uncle Alec was killed in the First World War and he was buried, he was buried over in France or wherever they got him. The last I saw of him was Passchendaele when that big last push there and they saw him in what was left of him in the barbed wire. And that is a, right back through Scottish history. Alexander has been a fatal native in the Shedden family. It's always, they've all died young and all died violently. Mother said, when she said goodbye, because I went before Alec, 
she said, Jim, Jim will be back. When I, I, his hand was so cold when I sh said goodbye to him, I, I knew I wouldn't see him again. Yeah. She was Irish enough to be suspicious of little bit. My father was from Scotch. And, yeah. Yeah. And with, with the Air Force thing, do you think you'd do it all again? Hey? With the Air Force, do you think you'd do it all again if you could do it over? I mean, I enjoyed it, but I know that I'd never go through that again without it. You know, like I just had to be dead loved. I wouldn't be that lucky again. No, no, no I was there Yeah. I was just dead lucky. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.